Thank you for joining us for the podcast. Social media has made its way into medicine, whether you are a practitioner or researcher in academic medicine or in the community. It has changed the way we connect with other people, and sometimes it presents as an opportunity, and sometimes it comes with its own perils. So today, we want to spend a little time to discuss the ways in which we can leverage these platforms to advance our science and careers as early career professionals without falling prey to some of the dangers that come with using these platforms. My name is Chi Hung, and I will be the moderator for today's podcast. I'm an assistant professor in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine at the University of Washington in Seattle. I'm joined by my two co-moderators, Dr. Marike Lehman, Professor of Translational Inflammation Research at Phillips University in Marburg, Germany, and Dr. Sarah Moore, Fellow in Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. We spoke with our colleagues in the RCMB Early Career Professionals Working Group and they identified four individuals who are actively engaged in social media and who do it well. These discussants have graciously volunteered their time out of their busy schedules to join us today for this conversation. By way of introduction, we have with us Dr. Jeffrey Horowitz, Professor of Medicine at Ohio State University, Dr. Carrie Johansson, Clinical Associate Professor at the University of Calgary, Dr. Leticia Kawano Dorado, Clinical Researcher and Pulmonologist at the H-Core Research Institute, Hospital do Coração in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and University of Sao Paulo. Joining us later on in the program will be Dr. Naftali Kaminsky, Professor of Medicine at Yale School of Medicine. Welcome everyone. Now, um, to start us off, I just want to get a sense of your personal experience with using social media as a platform, and if you can share with us your personal experience and which platforms um, you generally go to the most and how you tend to use social media in a professional setting. Jeff, would you like to start? <laughs> I thought you might come to me first because I've got the gray hair here. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say that I was a pretty early adopter of uh, of using social media in, in a professional setting. I was certainly using social media um, for, for personal interactions. Uh, but uh, in my role at, at the time, this was probably about 10, 10 years ago or so, I was the I was the web committee chair for an assembly in, in ATS. And, and the chair of my assembly is uh, our, our other discussant who you'll be introducing when he gets here, Naftali Kaminsky. And we were actually at a conference. It may have been a Keystone conference, um, but Naftali had this idea of uh, live tweeting the conference uh, from RCMB. So right then and there is I, I set up the RCMB Assembly's Twitter account. I, I gave up control of that a long time ago. Don't contact me about this. Um, but you know the, the the idea really was uh, to to develop a network of of colleagues, and and sort of recapitulate what I like to call the coffee shop, 
when, when you just kind of have friends and people who know each other sit around the coffee shop and just talk about the science and, and the research and, and what's happening in, in the academic world. Um, you know, it's it certainly changed an awful lot. I don't think at the time we envisioned uh, social media either within medical applications or more broadly uh, turning into what it is now. And, and so I've, I've as, as my own career has developed, um, I've, I've become much less active on social media than I was back then because you have to be a lot more careful now uh, because the community is not what we envisioned initially as kind of that, that coffee shop uh, insular community, but it, it's much broader. But also my own career has developed. So as, as a division director now, I largely use, use social media for the purposes of amplifying um, the, the successes and, and the people within my, my division and to recognize people for, for great work that they're, that they're doing. Thank you. Harry? Thank you. Um, I was a late adopter, I'd say, of using social media in a professional sense. And, and I think it kind of mirrored um, my changing role in my field. Um, and that I, I never envisioned how I could use this kind of a platform or how I would be a, a public figure. So previously I'd had Facebook and Instagram for pictures of my kids. You know, I'd share that with my family and that kind of thing. And I couldn't wrap my head around this being an open thing where I would say something and anybody in the world could see it. And I found it to be a little frightening, a little intimidating. And now I really don't care. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, become a really powerful tool um, over the last five years. So I think I had like 30 followers or something there, mostly my family in 2018. And then I kind of opened it up and started following people and tagging things and taking photos at conferences. And it just generated into this um, opportunity to meet people from all over the world. One of my favorite things I think about social media in my field of interstitial lung disease, and, and that's now branched into all sorts of areas that I'm learning about online, um, is to be able to meet people that I never would otherwise have met because there's just so many people, right? But I have a running list. So when I have projects or opportunities, I take note of new people that I've seen on Twitter and mm -hmm. will write down their names and their country and their you know region or uh, sort of focus of research. And when something comes up to review a paper or I'm trying to think of someone to suggest for something, I have this ongoing list of people. Um, and I've found that it's been, and again, that's going to have some component of selection bias. You can't reach everybody in the world, but it's it's allowed me to, I think, branch out from just the core people that I otherwise would have only met. And I'm a and I'm an extroverted extrovert. And I love, I love hearing people talk. I love being tagged in things. I love having conversations all the time. And so it's, to me, it's been a really nice social outlet. Wonderful. And Leticia? So it's very interesting to hear uh, Jeff and Carrie's perspective. And I could uh, see myself in what they were like, discussing about social media and the way I see it now. I want to add one uh, different perspective to social media, act, professional social media activities, which is the perspective of low middle income country members, people, folks. So you're basically outside of the jet set of science. In Twitter, mostly Twitter, which is where the scientific discussion is going on, 
offers you the very unique opportunity to suddenly be there. Mm -hmm. It's virtual, it's far from ideal, but you're there. Well, so it's an article that was just released and the first author is there tweeting about it. You have the chance to comment, interact, and all of a sudden you're seen. Wow, because you're out there, outside, you're not being seen. All of a sudden you're being seen. So for me, Twitter really promoted my career. In fact, to be very honest with you, I'll just tell you a little tiny story. Um, I decided to, I had this Twitter account like forever, but I never used it. And I was going through a very hard time in my career locally in Brazil because of uh, power dynamic things. And I was a junior. So I was very upset and some people was talking about Twitter and there was these nice people from the ILD community, which is my subspecialty on Twitter. And then I was like, oh, what about I interact with those people? Well, maybe they're nice. Maybe I just 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 to change a little bit. The atmosphere was so heavy. And all of a sudden, uh, after like a while, in fact, I bypassed all the hurdles, which I was facing through Twitter because I was then connecting with my international community, being seen in a way that in through traditional channels of connection, like in conferences, I could not envisioning that happening so fluidly because there are no boundaries. For example, I can talk with the division chief of Ohio University, super doctor Jeff, and all of a sudden we're like discussing without too many boundaries, you know, like too many hierarchical steps. So for me, Twitter was this amazing, amazing place for career development. I've got to jump in and, and say that, you know, I exactly remember how that was happening because all of a sudden Dr. Kawana was on Twitter feeds and I, you know, Letitia and I, I think we've been in the same place at the same time for, and talk spoken in person, I think a grand total of, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, but I feel like I've known her for, for years. And and I've seen that, seen her her develop into a real powerhouse in in the research community. And and I, I will say she's very much done it the right way. Um, and and now I see you using your platform uh, for a lot more advocacy. Yes. Um, which which I think you you know came through in and what you said. So it, I mean it's a very powerful tool when approached uh, in the right way. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. That was kind of you. Thank you. Can I ask you a question? Um, and this is probably one of the, maybe one of the questions that we're going to get to, but um, I've just been blown away by your uh, education, the, the educational content that you provide in Portuguese for millions of people around the world about COVID-19, vaccines, the science of this pandemic, and that you're making it accessible was this, did it, how did that come about? Was there a, a plan or did this just kind of organically evolve into that? Because it's it's an incredible resource. And I think there's so much gratitude probably from people worldwide that you're doing this. 
so this is interesting that you brought that Carrie because I feel it's like although it's both social media I feel like it's two different hats so the way it happened as you I had my Instagram account posting pictures of my kids to like a very small group of people it was a closed account when the pandemic started my family friends you know I am the doctor of the family so I got all these questions and I don't know, maybe you, you went through the same thing. It's seasonal. So the types of questions, they're the same during the pandemic. So first, how it's transmitted, when vac vaccines start, about vaccines and then treatments. So so it's like, it's the same question you get from people. And I, I was like, my gosh, how, how am I going to answer all the in kind of the same question? So I started recording some audios on WhatsApp and I would send them. And then people, oh my gosh, this is so clear. It's like one minute, you explained everything. Can I send this over and over? And people started telling me that. And I said, yes, of course, please do. Then I thought, no, wait, I have this Instagram account. What about I start recording fast videos so that I inform people because people were desperate. And in Brazil in particular, we had this very bad administration. I'm being really light when I say bad. So very bad administration. The country was completely lost and people was like afraid, didn't know where to sort for uh, information, safe information. So Many of us, I am one of these Brazilians, started doing this scientific communication just to bring what science is discovering in a very easy and uh, understandable way to the lay audience. And then my account really like picked up in terms of followers. And the United Nations started a program to verify scientific communicators on COVID. And I was verified by the United Nations. So I was contacted. I got training with these amazing um, uh, social media creators. And it was amazing, an amazing experience. Also connected with people throughout the world, um, talking about COVID in many different languages. And I did that. So I canceled my personal Instagram account. It became public. And I only talk about now COVID, vaccines, treatment, science to the lay audience. So it was organic, Carrie. It was like meeting people's needs. And I get many, many feedbacks that really warm my heart. And like one of them that was really special was this person. She was from the very, very uh, inland in Brazil, like rural area very low access to everything and she said I watch your Instagram and I go to the um, to the health center local health center and I start explaining people what I see in your Instagram so I was like that was so, about mask, mask wearing how you seal an N95 how you test if it's really fit and all of that throughout the pandemic so yeah, so it was organic. I um, it took a lot of energy for me, but I feel uh, honored to serve throughout the pandemic in Portuguese with this content. Amazing. Wow, that's amazing. And um, thank you so much for sharing your stories of how you started and that story of how you went from 
sort of just sharing pictures with your family. I think we all have experience with that in our personal lives to opening up to a more professional crowd and then eventually even a more general audience is uh, something that um, seemed very organic for each of you um, when you started using uh, social media. And, um, and I know personally, I have not ventured into using um, Twitter or Instagram a lot, so I don't really have a presence um, in those. And I feel like in speaking with my own colleagues um, or junior colleagues, um, many of us have uh, personal Facebook or Instagram accounts, but we don't share those with our professional uh, colleagues or even patients or the general population. And in the absence of sort of this organic development of opening up to the uh, to our colleagues or even to the general public, um, how do you uh, see junior members and early career professionals um, using social media as a platform, um, I guess, more intentionally rather than organically to, um, to advertise themselves? Yeah, you know, there's a sort of first steps to it. Um, and, you know, specifically sort of focusing on Twitter and Twitter has gone through some major political shifts over the last several months. I think I'm not sure if the algorithms are changing. It seems to be a little more user friendly in the last month, maybe than in the prior five. Um, but and also hopefully it comes back to this um, you know, where you can actually see the people that you follow and the content gets shared the way it's hopefully, you know, supposed to have been. But just starting out, like you just log in, you create a log on and you pick a name. And I picked a silly name when I started mine in 2010 or 2011. And now I feel like it's too late to change it, <laughs> but it's not exactly like a professional one. It's at Carrie Berry Carrie. And now I can't change it. It's just too late. And it would just look so like presumptuous if I changed it. It'd be like, oh, and now I'm important. I'm going to use my whole name. <laughs> so pick like a professional sounding name, which could just be your own name. And then I think it's different for everybody. You know, you go on, you kind of observe what's going on. You start following a few people. Generally, for this to be effective, it needs to be an open account. So being aware of potential privacy issues, what you put out into the, the Twitterverse or out into public social media exists forever and anybody can see it. So being aware of that every time you post something um, but kind of getting a sense of what the community is that you want to follow. And if it's for something professional, um, you know, follow people in your field, follow ATS and ATS assemblies and the RCMB or any other sort of organizations. Um, and I think one of the big opportunities to have your work recognized, I've been thinking about this, there's so much, there's so much research being published every day. And if I didn't see it on Twitter, I might not know that it was just published in ERJ, like because there's just so much content coming out daily. So I know that my good friend Deji Adegunsoya just published two incredible papers um, because he did Twitter threads about them. And I know, you know, what the content is, how to interpret it. We're seeing discussion around it. If it was just published in a journal, I might have missed it and I wouldn't have this contextualization um, and then be able to reference it and build off of that knowledge that he's just put out. So it's a really incredible opportunity, not just like tag a link to your paper, but to say this just out and to have a thread of the content with you know, screenshot images, figures, an interpretation of your findings and the data and the context. It's like a little mini journal club that you can put in sort of 10 subsequent tweets that are all part of one thread. 
Um, and it's just incredible exposure for your work. So I think that's a, a really good tool for, um, for early career academics. I would add to Carrie that for those that don't have uh, their own work to public, to, to post on Twitter, it's very nice that you interact with people in your area. So let's say, for example, in our area, with the example Carrie just gave, Deji uh, published these two amazing papers. He made this thread. You can always go there. And if you're interested in the topic, you make uh, an educational comment, you, respectful interaction. So this, you get to be seen. So as Carrie said, well, I see people on Twitter and that broadens my list of people that I have in my mind when I'm going to think about opportunities, collaborations. So this is a way to be seen if you don't yet have your own paper to share. I, I agree with both uh, Carrie and, and Letitia. And of course, I think we were all just thinking of Deji's paper that, that came out in JAMA uh, within the, the last week. Um, so, you know, for, for me personally, I, I see a ton of, of literature far sooner than it ever would come across my, my radar. And, you know, so I, I will text or, or email myself links to people's papers. And, and that's now how I... It, how I come across my reading list because it's it's almost like a uh, a curated collection of of papers relevant to my field and for me personally that's probably the most powerful part of of what I use Twitter for for my own self. Um, I, I would think for for advice that I would give to an early career professional who's just starting off and maybe is not well known, it, it's sort of like uh, I've, I've become a, a fan of Hamilton. Right. And, and Aaron Burr says to him, you know, talk less and listen more. You know, you really have to learn the landscape because there are a lot of things that, that you know, on Twitter, as, as Carrie said, it's there forever. And a lot of the nuance that may come from interpersonal interactions, for example, if you were at a conference and you saw someone at a poster, right, and you can have a back and forth that nuance is lost in Twitter and things can very easily be, be misconstrued or misunderstood. Um, and, and it can lead to that down negative paths. So you do have to recognize that if you're using this for professional purposes, you need to be over the top professional and in, in the way that you go about it, because this is job interviews for down the line. This is, you know, what, part of you that people are going to remember. And so you do have to be somewhat careful. And it, it's very easy. And if I go back to the original goal or the, the, the reason that I liked it early on was that coffee shop feel, that's not what this is today. Um, it's not this, this back and forth. It is open. Anybody can comment. Um, and, and if you write something that catches someone's attention in the wrong way, then it can spiral very quickly into, into a very negative place. So unless you really know, I mean, Naftali is going to come on here and I've got, you know, almost 20 years of back and forth in a relationship with Naftali. There are comments that I can make to Naftali that I would never, never say to someone who I didn't really know very well. Um, and so you do have to to keep in mind um, how well you know and how personal you want to interact with people who who you may not know. You know, you, you have to let 
things develop and let relationships develop. And sort of feeding off of that, if it, um, is that I think being aware too that there are really wonderful people and colleagues and um, potential collaborators and peers, and there are there are trolls and bots on Twitter. And um, if you make a comment about vaping, I mean, you better be ready to have the pro vaping lobby target you. And I block early and I block often. I don't I don't have time for that kind of thing. Like I'm I am not putting myself out there to have um to be threatened by individuals so I, there's also kind of being aware of the safety aspect of personal safety privacy um recognizing that there are targeted um groups that may very much disagree with you and being able and i think just being aware of that everybody can handle that in different ways i think it's good not to engage in things that are clearly toxic because it goes nowhere and that's i think the whole point of it is to get more engagement so that people can see their argument about things and that came up a lot during the pandemic it's still existing during the pandemic but any other kind of political or social issue that you might engage in so building from what jeff said uh, i I totally agree that we should be mindful when we are on Twitter. So I think if you, before you hit the tweet button, if you think, am I being respectful? Am I being clear in my communications? So for example, irony is terrible on Twitter because you're not seeing the nonverbals, you're not seeing the tone of voice and there are like cross-cultural differences too. So it's very hard to understand irony. So be very clear, be respectful, be kind. <laughs> Unlikely you'll get into trouble. But it is true, like, for example, as the example I gave to Carrie that I did scientific communication on COVID, don't think it was all easy to the contrary, because we, wow, we really got, we, I mean, everybody doing this, this work, we really got hit by anti-vaccine people, chloroquiners, ivermectiner people, and and all of that, and and they hit hard, and like I think they connect to each other, and they they tell, oh, look at this content, and then comes that uh, huge amount of people like being really rude. So one thing I would say about social media, well, this exists. It doesn't belong to you. It's not your fault. So don't let yourself be contaminated by it. So this is in particular when you're doing advocacy. So if you're doing advocacy. You're, you you revisit what you're doing. What are my goals? What am I doing here? Have I done anything wrong? No, I haven't done anything wrong. So just block, ignore, detox, and move on, I would say. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely a very helpful reminder because I will share with you that one of the biggest uh, sort of challenges for me in terms of being able to feel comfortable sharing um, information on social media in a professional setting is exactly what you guys have been talking about, which is putting out a message out there can have a lot of repercussions, both from, you know, social issues or political issues that will invite a lot of blowback and I, you know, as an early, early career professional who's interested in um, really advancing science, curious about um, science and how to move forward in the field, that's just really not something that I want to spend 
time dealing with and um, within particularly, like Jeff said, in the last few years, social media has really changed into this very different landscape of um, sort of sometimes hyper-political, hyper-argumentative type environment that research fellows and clinical fellows are using social media these days. I think it varies between individuals, to be honest, because I think uh, a lot of us have similar qualms to some of the things that you've mentioned, especially being so early in our careers as as fellows, you know, still very uh, kind of nascent in our career trajectories, thinking about job interviews, all of those sort of things uh, where your Twitter feed or other sort of social media might come into play or be brought up. I think there's certainly that anxiety. Um, I personally have used Twitter more on the uh kind of uh, less interactive side. I follow a lot of people, but haven't necessarily gotten to the point of outwardly engaging as much as I, I think I hope to in the future, um, partly for some of those, those issues that were raised, I think, in terms of the kind of intimidation factor uh, to, to one extent, and then the um, kind of overall environment and worrying about trolls and bots and those sorts of things. Um, so I'd, I'd love to actually hear a little bit more. Um, Carrie, you mentioned that you kind of felt that sort of intimidation when you first started to join and interact in Twitter, even though you said you're a very extroverted person, kind of how did you get over that hurdle um, to kind of jump in the pool? Thanks. I, I think my when I early on um, started this, it was such just a wonderful small group of people. And it was just such a positive, and I guess I'm just lucky that way that I had really wonderful people in our field. And it was all like, we would mostly be discussing like, you know, cryobiopsy, you'd spend your Sunday morning like arguing over the latest cryobiopsy paper. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. And um, so it felt really safe getting into it at first. And then I was talking with a friend yesterday about this, no matter what you put on, it's kind of like submitting a manuscript somewhere. It could be perfect, but someone's going to say that this is the worst thing that's ever been written or, or like conceived. I put something that I really, like, it was just kind of a, a comment about how um, music is played at my hospital every time a baby is born. And I was like, oh, I'm here for it. It's like really lovely. And boy, people were really upset about this happening. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wow, anything that you put out there to the universe can be suddenly really kind of twisted or construed in a negative way. And I think you just have to be prepared for that. It's kind of like the peer review process and like, let it kind of roll off your back a little bit and just understand that that's going to happen. That's, that's going to, you know, be 10% of interactions. Even the most innocent thing that you put out there can be really twisted <laughs> if somebody's having a bad day. And, um, and I think all you can, it's like anything, all you can, do is control your behavior and your action, your response to it. You can't control what other people are doing. So it's always like big life lessons. Um, and just if you can choose not to let that affect you personally or impact what you do moving forward, just kind of let it go. So it's a good practice for that. I have one tip too for those that are uh, considering starting on Twitter that are and are juniors on their career. If if you're concerned about all these consequences, these consequences usually come when you're ad advocating for something, going to politics or controversial topics like vaccines, chloroquine, ivermectin for COVID. So if you, it's it's very given, you know it. So if you're just like, for example, in our field, go and talk about extracellular matrix or I don't know, fibroblasts, whatever, 
you won't get that. You won't get uh, any harsh response. So if you get really, really, really scientific, then you start on Twitter, you get confidence, you learn about the platform. And then little by little, you can advance a little bit more and talk about babies being born and music. And like me, like uh, the government in Brazil, I thought a little bit, should I go into this or not? Am I ready? I said, no, I, I want to commit to that. I'm going to talk about that on my Twitter. So all of that, all some people won't like it. You might lose followers. Okay, no problem. That's what I think I should do. I will do it. So uh, start start scientific. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> Except don't talk about fibroblasts. Nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, I care. I care about fibroblasts. But um, right. I, I think, though, that this this also touches on something that, that I've, I've learned, which is be positive, make compliments, okay? Um, you know, especially if it's about research or science. If you've got something negative to say or you think it's horrible, just keep scrolling. Don't don't spend time on it. But I mean, if you wouldn't walk up to somebody at their poster and say, oh, my God, how could you publish this crap? Right. Then don't put it on Twitter. OK, um, it's never going to reflect well on you um, and, and people are going to get upset. Just you, you have the opportunity to say nothing. And, and a lot of times saying nothing is is probably better than making a negative comment or 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 a critique. When we get into advocacy and, and things like that, I mean, Naftali is now on, and and Letitia are far more active that, than I am because I don't have. I've decided I just don't have the bandwidth, um, you know. But but Naftali is the one who was the first to tell me don't respond to the trolls um, because it's very easy to get sucked into that. And 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 next thing you know, you're you're fighting a Twitter battle that you cannot win. So so I I've chosen to not engage in, in such things. And then the truth is, that's taken away a lot of the coffee shop feel that that we had very early on in the community, which is what I really liked about about the 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 engagements. I will still do that from time to time. Uh, Frequently, when it's when it's Naftali and and Geesley Jenkins, and we've known each other for a long time, so we can argue with each other, and and it's sort of an in joke for us, right? Um, but we know each other so well that if things start to get a little bit, um, you know, even bordering on personal, then then we just kind of say, okay, that's enough. Let's 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 just move on, and and we'll we'll smile and and have a beer the next time we see each other, and that's great. Okay, but but you do have to be very aware of the environment that you're stepping into with with Twitter, and and if you're not ready uh, for for that kind of negative interaction, then then don't comment on something negatively. I'll Thank stop there. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, and I'm going to pause a little bit and welcome uh, Dr. Neftali uh, Kaminsky. Um, thank you for joining us um, on your very busy schedule as well. Yeah, my pleasure. Great. We were uh, just talking about um, junior members and early career professionals um, who may be hesitant about 
um, stepping their toes into the social media platform um, and talking about ideas and tips on what to avoid and what specific things we can do um, to really get started in the uh, social media landscape. Yeah, so so again, I, I haven't heard everything that was said before. I'll actually say something a little bit the opposite, which is early career people have a lot of stuff going on, yeah. right? Uh, so I actually a little bit almost resent the expectation that people will be on social media. You know, you want to be on it, great. You don't want to be on it, you still are engaged in the most important thing that can do, which is promote human health, reduce suffering, right? So I actually, some of my early career will come to me and say, could you, I feel bad because I'm not responding to you. And I said, I'm really grateful that you're not responding to me. But, but more than that, I think that the idea is that we really don't want to put this as an expectation. Um, so the one thing is if you enjoy these kind of things and nothing wrong with being a lurker, you know, just hanging out and looking at other people, no problem with that. Um, and and sometimes nothing wrong with being, um, I don't know how you call it. I don't want to say fellow traveler because it has negative connotations. But if you want to be a fellow traveler, just amplifying other people's comments, also not a bad thing. So mm. I think it's a little bit depends on the personality more than anything else. Um, the other side is, you know, the world, the other comment I, I want to say is people speak about the echo chamber. I am extremely protective of my echo chamber, mm -hmm. which is um, I will engage sometimes. Sometimes I'll just block. Um, you know, my first experience was when I put, a, um, I think six years ago, something about vaping. Mm -hmm. Suddenly all my feed was full with trolls and really crazy stuff, right? So it was a good lesson. I, 99, I think I engaged with two. And, um, and then I blocked the rest of them. So I think be protective of your echo chamber and, um, I, I do maintain some very, very strict rules about uh, engagement. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, you know, for all of us, Twitter is addictive or mm -hmm. other social media. The algorithms are built to addict you. So you have to be extremely protective of how you engage and how you use the, your time. Um, on the other hand, if you're the person who was born for social media, who cares? Just do it. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I also want to piggyback on something that uh, Carrie had mentioned earlier, which is um, uh, sort of early career professionals. One way um, that we talked about um, using social media was to promote maybe a publication that you've been on and um, let people know that, hey, we've got this amazing study that uh, was just published. We're really proud of it. Um, and um, and uh, that kind of promotion is a, a little bit difficult when you don't have any followers <laughs> uh, when you first start out. So I guess my question would be, if I were, say, a senior fellow who is a first author on a paper, um, 
and it um, and I don't have a big social media presence. Um, how would I go about getting the attention of people um, whose attention I want to get um, to know that you know we published this work and it would be great if they want to take a quick look at it? Um, is directly tweeting them or um, mentioning them in a tweet um, or Instagram uh, something that is seen as uncouth or you know, socially unacceptable on social media if you don't have any prior relationship with them? I think we've all... Go ahead, Carrie. Go ahead. I think we've all been tagged in threads or comments where somebody mm-hmm. will just tag your name and that that highlights it. There's this wonderful uh, man that came on Twitter. I don't know how long he's been on there, but Alfredo, um, who I will do these amazing threads or just tag a paper with like some... And I can't not look because it's got all these great, really like fiery emojis and stuff. So I'm naturally like drawn to read it and I'll be tagged in it and then I'll read the paper. So, I, you know, you get tagged in something. So I think that's that's totally fine to tag. You don't want to over tag. You don't want to abuse that tagging privilege too often. Um, but I think bringing something to someone's attention, uh, if it's going to be of interest to them. And the other thing I know when I had a project coming out a few years ago, I just directly asked Naftali, I was like, but do you mind retweeting this? Like, please amplify this. And he was like, of course. And then amplified it and you know, did the pointing down and check out hplung.com. And I was like, because I didn't have the reach at that time. So I think, and also if you've got senior authors or, or um, mentors in your institution or somebody else. So when my, my trainees and those published papers, I retweet them, I amplify them, I'll quote tweet it with like just drawing attention to this project that they had just completed. So there's opportunity for other people to amplify and sponsor you. Another yeah, I, way. I, I, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. Okay, I was just. I think. Um, you know, I I don't know that I would tag somebody who you don't know, right? But this is what I do as a division chief. If there's a fellow in my in my division who's got a first author paper, you can bet that I'm going to amplify their tweet and say, "Hey, look at this great job our our you know our fellow is doing." Um, so. You know, you can allow it. It'll it'll amplify granularly if if senior people involved in in the paper and your division chief, you know, if you're involved in an institute, you tag it to your university, mm-hmm. and and the PR people will amplify these things. I guarantee it. Um, so you don't have to tag people that you that you don't know. It will it will grow that way, and and it'll be seen. And I think that that's a that's a great way. Uh, for for early career professionals to to get inroads in into social media because you know you've accomplished something I think it's great to put it out there and and let it get amplified um, you know and that's that's positive visibility I think that's great. Another way to do it to another strategy I would say on Twitter would be so you're you don't have many followers but you're following people on your field. And they're probably at some point be discussing the topic of your research. So I would say if the content fits, like let's say someone really big tweets about, let's say in my field, rheumatoid arthritis, associated interstitial lung disease. And then I come, oh, this is so nice. Your findings of your study. And uh, similarly in my study, and then you you post the link, we saw that the proportion of blah, blah was this or that. So this is a way, authentic way to engage in a conversation, sharing what you found. 
and building up from this person that has more followers, more visibility, I see it as positive too. So um, um, the most important thing to amplify paper is do a tutorial, right? Uh, one link, with, one tweet with a random link or even worse with a title and an image from the paper without the link to the paper is literally unhelpful, right? So what you want to do is educate yourself. And there's really some master of tutorials on doing a tutorial. And then the cool thing in a tutorial, there's several rules. One, it has to be a story. Second, uh, um, in every one of your tweets, you want to add a link to your paper always because people will hit you in different things. And third is in every one of your tweets have an image. And what you do is then you can tag different people based on the context, right? Because then if you're hitting, none of our papers is in a, is done in an empty space, right? It relates to science, it relates to others. So you can actually be relatively strategic about it um, and, and do it in a way that actually draws a lot of attention. Nothing wrong with mentioning it to the journal editor, you know, sometimes. And um, critically important, have all the Twitter uh, handles of all the co-authors. You know, we usually, we never write a one-person paper anymore. So if you have 10 people, these people are going to amplify you. Um, ATS assemblies are really good at this stuff. So, it, well, um, Jeff started the RCMB uh, Twitter handle together with Wamsley, I think. Um, and there's a tradition there. And they definitely amplify early career more than sort of, you know, holy cows. And um, so the assemblies, ATS Genetics and Genetics is also really great. I actually... Sometimes I forget and I tag them in my political stuff and they still amplify it. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I think you want to be strategic about it. Um, what you don't want to do is tag one person who literally doesn't know you on every one of your papers. Mm. That's like, right. But, but build tutorials. Tutorials are interesting. They're engaging. Do use different types of media, a small video, a small image. Um, make it interesting. And you can take the time to, people have done workshops about this. So uh, Avraham Cooper does these amazing tutorials. He has them all in one piece about all aspects of medicine. Like, why do you cry when you cut onions? And like, you know, why does this antibiotic work? And like amazing series of educational content. And people have developed through, through um, chest and through ATS and through other sources uh, workshops on how to build them. And I think, you know, when I did my first tutorial, I was like, oh, I'm just supposed to come up with this on the fly. Well, none of the ones that I've done, I write them in a Word document and I know exactly what I'm going to do. And then I save it and I go through, like, it's a, it's a labor of, you know, it's a, it's a laborious process to, to generate content that you hope will be of value to your community. So it's worth the effort. I don't think anybody comes up with like an on the fly, awesome tutorial on something. Um, but it's worth it. To, to get that content out there. And Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I, I just got to jump in and I'll say that uh, because you mentioned Avi Cooper, uh, 
I'm proud to have him as our fellowship program director here at Ohio State. But I'll say that he he is an example, I think. Uh, I mean, he does a number of things incredibly well, but this is also a case where if you are really good at it, it can help promote you for, for promotion and for promotion. Um, because you know, when you have a hundred thousand followers on Twitter and, and you have a voice, then then you can get those metrics. Uh, to support you as as a, I mean, it's rare. I see Naftali shaking his head, um, <laughs> but but I will I will say that it, if you do it right, because uh, he's also gets invited talks on how to do this, and he's publishing, you know how I how I do tutorials and that sort of thing. So it has very much helped to to amplify credentials within a field. If you're a basic scientist, that's probably not going to get you very far because, you know, your, your promotion is founded on what have you published and, and the impact of your data. But if you're a medical educator, then this is a platform. Um, and, you know, and, and I'll also say, because we're in, and not just uh, social media, but, but Avi puts together a series of, of podcasts, um, which are CME accredited called the, the Curious Clinicians. And they come out on a regular cadence. And, and so those metrics are alternative metrics that are becoming, uh, may, maybe not at Ivy League, but at Ohio State, uh, I, I can make the case that, that these are important evidence of, of impact, which is what one needs for, for promotion. Leticia. Naftali, you want to say anything before? Because Jeff mentioned you. Yeah, so the reason I was waving my head, so... Um, um, ex negatively was because avoid the temptation of searching for likes. We've seen it during the pandemic. Some of our worst, I'll say the name, Vinay Prasad, UCSF, a stain on the institution, basically has garnered significant following because of contrarian, unbased, and negative approaches. And he's not the only one. And I wholeheartedly so agree. I so wholeheartedly huge, agree with that. Yeah, there's a huge trend. Now, there's amazing people who generate positive content. And I, I think I actually gave a talk a few years ago about how to develop your social media um, portfolio for your academic career. But that's a very careful type of operation. And we, we have some really brilliant stars in, 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 in pulmonary medicine to do it. But... Most people that have a lot of tweet of followers are usually negative. It's actually for me, it's a marker, right? So if sometimes somebody responds to me and I don't know them, if they have like the hundred thousands, um, and I never heard of them, and then I look a little bit and I'll see, oh, that's bad. So it's an interesting thing. So social media works. Frankly, the biggest reach you get is on negative messaging. Right. I, if uh, if we engage now in a public fight, Jeff, you and I, we both will have many more likes than that and followers than we ever had. Well, no, I I agree with everything Naftali just said. Um, you know, and and that that's why I said very few people are going to curate that sort of medical yeah. educational portfolio through social media, and and you know it's it the the reason that it works is because. Uh, you don't go after the likes. You post content. People find exactly. that content interesting. 
that content is very accurate and curated very carefully and presented in a dynamic way. So, um, but I, I agree absolutely with, with everything Naftali just said. So I have one story from a successful positive story from social media interactions. And that's not uh, like going after likes, but uh, doing what we have to do to change the world for better in our field. And that's the story of Remap ILD project. Mm -hmm. it, this is a um, project that envisions creating a pl adaptive platform trial to answer multifactorial questions simultaneously addressing questions that are I'll, that are that hasn't been answered yet in our patient needs and this project is a global big project that is uh, taking shape getting into life and it started on twitter it started on discussions and, and there are three people here in this call that participated since the beginning, Naftali Kaminsky, Carrie Johansson, and myself. And this all started with genuine, authentic discussions that we realizing, oh my gosh, there is no evidence guiding us here. Our patients deserve better. Naftali saying, let's cure IPF. Let's move this field faster. And with all these discussions on Twitter, <laughs> It took a while, I would say around a year, then it gained momentum and moved from a social media platform into real life. And right now, I can tell you, uh, Remap ILD has uh, accelerator grant funding its trial design, and it's it's taking shape, it's, it's, it's becoming a reality. So this is something super positive. It's not like going after your Stealing your CV or likes or whatever. It's like doing what we need to do in our in our scientific community to make the good for our patients. Yeah, I agree. And, that, and that's the ideal way it should be happening. And I think we on the flip side of that, just to, you know, we worry about kids and teenagers getting on social media and getting this addiction to likes. I think we all get a I think it's a physiologic thing why they put that little heart button on all of these. We all get a dopamine surge every time somebody likes something that you do. You can't help it. I think if you really work on yourself and muting your ego and trying to be equanimous, that's a lot of work and it still happens. Um, so just to be aware that it's going to impact you to a certain extent on a personal level, no matter how hard and how um, I think insightful you are as to your needs and, and things, but just to be aware of that because it, you know, it happens to kids and teenagers. It certainly happens to all of us. So just to just be aware of it. You can't make it go away necessarily, but. And, and in some ways, actually to jump on this thing. So one is I, I, I do think Rima Bialdi is, is an amazing initiative. I'm so grateful to Leticia and Carrie and uh, Gisli, uh and a little bit myself for being uh, annoying about it. But um, I think that, uh, uh, and we actually have multiple examples. Not all of them have been as successful, but sort of small initiatives and things happening and let's do it. Um, there's another thing which is really important in your uh, Twitter or social media identity, which I think actually both Carrie and Leticia are really great examples, which is, um, the generosity of it, because some of us 
really focused on their things. So you can see some really established people. They'll just post or say something when it relates to their lab, their work, their institution. Whereas some of us just jump on Twitter and like a lot of things that we like. And I think that's what creates the community because it's actually the person from a place you've never seen, a lab you've never heard of, a paper that people wouldn't expect you to read, yet you hide it, that generates the connection, right? And that's exactly this dopamine surge. And sometimes, like, I've gotten sometimes uh, a comment from somebody, uh, yeah, I don't know, and that's created a relationship. Right, so I think the other side of it is be generous in your interaction. Show people you enjoy their work, even if it's not really self-serving. You know, the authenticity concept is really important there. Thank you so much. And um, unfortunately, we are running out of time. It's been such a wonderful and lively discussion. And I just want to summarize a few points um, that I have heard throughout this conversation um, from sort of experts of social media, which is from a, an early career professional's point of view uh, that yes, social media can be a very useful and positive platform for advocating for yourself as well as advancing your science. Um, some of the points that we have heard is that be very careful about how you introduce yourself and immerse yourself in social media as an early career professional. Um, and one of the ways you can keep it uh, positive is to create useful content um, and don't engage with the trolls or people who are there to start arguments. And and um, also, there are tutorials um, on how to create useful content. So don't just put a link to your paper and leave it at that. Um, but create something more substantive, perhaps a pictorial or a little video, um, and always solicit help um, from more senior figures um, who are in your division or who are collaborating on your work, um, as well as uh, hopefully the chief of your division <laughs> uh, to and your university to amplify your work for you through social media and um, always be generous with yourself and other people. Hopefully that is a good summary of some of the common themes that we have heard throughout and um, and I just want to say again, I know you all have very busy schedules, even jumping in during conferences um, to participate, to um, share your experiences and impart your wisdom um, for all of us um, early, early career folks. Um, so on behalf of the RCMB Early Career Professionals Working Group, I just want to thank you again. Um, thank you to Dr. Horowitz, Johansson, Kaminsky and Kawano Dorado for taking your time um, on your busy out of your busy schedules to talk to us about this very interesting and always evolving topic. 